Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome to Development Hell. For every horror movie that hits VOD, countless others end up DOA. Development Hell is the podcast dedicated to unearthing these cursed horror productions. We're going to find out what went wrong and then decide if these titles still stand a shot at the green light. I am your host, Josh Corngut. I am a filmmaker in Toronto, Canada. This podcast is a proud member of the Dread Podcast Network. Available now from Dread, Howling Village. From the visionary director of The Grudge and The Grudge 2 comes Howling Village. After her brother goes missing, a young psychologist visits an infamous haunted and cursed location known as Howling Village to investigate his disappearance and uncover her family's dark history. Howling Village will be available on demand everywhere and on Blu-ray September 14th. Okay, so I'm ready. Do you feel ready? I'm very ready. Oh my god. Um, okay, so today we're going to be covering Behind the Mask 2, a.k.a. Before the Mask, The Return of Leslie Vernon, a.k.a. B4TM, if you're cool. Uh, we have a very special guest with us today. Uh, we're talking to Mary Beth McAndrews. Uh, Mary Beth, do you want to introduce yourself to the Development Hell audience? Sure. When is when is this episode coming out? Tuesday. Okay, cool. So I can say who I actually. Yeah, am. yeah. I was thinking okay. that. Yeah, I yeah. I don't yeah, have this... a new job yet. <laughs> yeah, um, and that we work together. <laughs> and we work together. Uh, hi, I'm Mary Beth. Uh, I work with Josh now at Trend Central, which is super exciting. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm a content manager. I'm the content manager, <gasps> the content manager at Dread Central now. My God, um, hot off the presses. And uh, I also have done a lot of freelance uh, writing mm-hmm. across the internet about horror. I love found footage. I have I've written a couple essays for Second Sight release, and one of the releases was for Lake Mungo. So I'm a found footage fan, and wow, I also wow, host wow, two wow. podcasts: Hell, Scarred yeah. for Life and Watch Once Never Again. Do you want to tell us a little bit about them? I want to know more. Of course. 
So Scarred for Life, I host with uh, Terry Menard of Gaily Dreadful Fame. We talk to members of the horror community, usually directors, um, writers of both scripts and editorials. We talk to everyone in the horror community and we talk to them about the movie that scared them as a kid, which is super fun. Such a good idea for a podcast because so often I ask people that question. Like, what was the movie that fucked you up the hardest? It's so fun, and you get some weird-ass answers. Like, Monday's oh. episode is with Matt Donato from Certified Forgotten, and he talks about Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, which is so unscary, It's but it was mm-hmm. an incredible conversation. We, I, My other podcast, Watch Once Never Again, I host with Daxi Bobbin, and we watch uh, disturbing movies across genres so you don't have to. So we just finished a series on French art house pornography director Catherine Briot, and we decided that she was kind of boring. And then we're doing some really awesome Australian horror coming up for the next couple of weeks. We had to, we we did an episode on 120 Days of Sodom, uh, the Pasolini movie, and mm. I already seen it, but it was really not na- it was nasty. I think that was the nastiest one we've watched so far, just in terms of like being super graphic. You know what? Um, Can I give you yeah. one for me? Please, let's, let's do a mini Scarred for Life or Scared for Life. Okay. Scarred for Life. Sorry, Scarred um, for Life. Scarred did for you ever watch? Nurse Betty back in the day, the the, the Renee Zellweger vehicle from the early 2000s. Mm. Does it even sound familiar to you at all? No. There's a comedy called Nurse Betty, I'm pretty sure that's the name, starring Renee Zellweger from like 2002 or something like that, where she like plays a nurse. Who cares? It's like very by the numbers comedy from back then. But for some okay. reason, there's like a hyper-realistic scalping scene in the middle that I just was not prepared for <laughs> as a child. <laughs> Yeah, hyper. What? Yes, I, I'm not kidding. Or at least in my mind, it was hyper realistic. So now I cannot watch anything to do with scalpings and movies that truly ruins my my good time. And it's all because of Nurse Betty starring Renee Zellweger's. It kind of was like yeah, that's a that's a movie I would not expect being the thing that got you to not want to watch. Uh, scalping see, and that's movies. that's why that's... I wanted to give you that answer. Um. So yeah. So this was our our mini episode for you. And now we're going to get Great. back into this one. So today's information. Wait, hold on. Nurse Betty, Betty won a Cannes Film Festival Award for Best Screenplay. That's it's impossible. Be- it premiered at Cannes Film Festival. Okay, so Nurse maybe Betty, I was wrong about it. Starring Morgan Freeman, Renee oh Zellweger, Chris Rock, and Greg Kinnear. Sorry, now this is a Nurse Betty podcast. Yeah, I'm fine. N- Nurse Betty cast. Wow. And now I'm looking at the poster. <laughs> like, look at that font, too. Like, this is not a good movie. But how did no. it? Who did they know? How did they get that award? It was wow. not good. It wasn't. Oh, 84% of people like this film, Google. Excuse me? Don't know them. Um, wow. Please never watch it. It's so gross and scary to my childhood self. Okay. Morgan Freeman. Greg Kinnear, I feel like you're religious. I feel like you make Christian movies, Greg Kinnear. I have nothing to back that up. It's just like an impulse I have. He's got that face. Yeah. He's got that Christian dad face. He does. I also think I knew someone that was in a like a semi-Christian movie with him and played his son. So I feel like I do have information that's back on us up. Um so today's information for this episode has been primarily sourced from the crowdfunding campaign for Before the Mask. Uh, Jason Jenkins' Bloody Disgusting article on the subject, their Facebook page, Wikipedia, all sorts of fun places. Mary Beth, so why did you pick this topic when when I approached you with a number of options? 
So, okay, full disclosure, I have never seen Behind the Mask, um, the original, which is shocking because I'm a found footage freak. Well, there we go. And and this has been on my list for a very long time. It's one of those situations where, like, you want to watch it, but then you just never get around to it. And so when you came to me with the list of things to watch, I was like, that one sticks out to me because I've always wanted to watch it. I knew that I'd have a, an amazing time discussing it because it's, it's found footage, mockumentary style. Mm-hmm. So that is why I picked it. And I'm super excited because I very much loved it. So oh, I'm very I mean, excited to chat about this movie what's with not you. To and love? I, like, I know. I, I always go back into it jaded. I'm always like, I loved it. Every time I've watched it, which is 19 times, like, I'm going to be bored this time. There's no way around it. And every time I'm like, this is sensational and the only person in the room. And this was no different this time around for me. It's so smart. So smart. Would you call it found footage? Is 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 fake mockumentary so it's found weird. footage? So, like, mockumentary, I consider mockumentaries, like, a part. It's, like, weird because, like, found footage is a subgenre. And then mm-hmm. I feel like mockumentaries are mockumentaries slash, I call them pseudo documentaries sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's, like, a sub-subgenre. Because, so I have a, okay, so like shameless plug, I'm writing, uh, I wrote a chapter for a book coming out from um, House, of House of Leaf Publishing on found footage about the the mockumentary. I'm writing about Lake Mungo and the Poughkeepsie tapes. Cool. Scary. And, yes. <laughs> Poughkeepsie tapes fucked me up. Too scary. Too scary. Um, but I consider them part of found footage because to me, found footage as like a broader idea is all about fabrication of truth and playing with expectations of reality and truth. And I think mockumentaries get at that in such a fascinating way mm-hmm. and in a much more complicated way than than like traditional found footage movies. I want to hear. Okay, the so rest I just of consider them like in a sim. I consider them all found footage. It's like kind of different ways of manipulating truth, if that makes sense. Why did the Poughkeepsie tapes have to end like that? I still am not okay and i still think about it that we're can i say it it's like oh can i say the reverse birth i hate it so so scary also do you know the trivia about the mask used in that film i don't think i do so they made a i don't know whose they is but there was a semi-official lady michael myers mask produced at one point kind of known online as the michelle myers mask but i don't think that's officially what it was called it was as frightening as you'd imagine it being. And so it like kind of stopped being made, but they used it in that film as the killer's mask. No way. I'm almost certain. Yeah. Michelle Myers doing crazy stuff. Oh shit. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> well, you better oh, make an amendum to your chapter. I know you do. You. I can't tell you what to do. I know. Isn't that wild? Well, that's, that's off. That's awful. I fucking hate that. It's scary. I fucking hate that. I hate that mask in that movie, and it just is out of face behind it. It's even fucking worse. It's anyway. way worse. Yeah. No, 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 no. I like that answer, to be honest. I always assume people are coming in with like their little baby obsessions and and coming in fresh. That's a whole new, it's a whole new development he'll take. I love it. I'd like to talk to you a little bit about the meta slasher subgenre for half of a moment if you're into it. I have a, a list in front of us, but do you have any like meta slashers that you're particularly drawn to from history? Is there anything that stands out? Well, Scream. Like, duh. I mean, yeah, I really should have, I should not have included that on the list because of course. It, it, yeah. I, it, yeah. I was like, did it invent the meta slasher? And like, not really. There were definitely meta slashers before them, but it, it uh, defined for sure. I think, yeah, for me, I feel like, there are a lot of things like 
funny you have on this is funny games which it definitely is like a proto meta slasher mm-hmm. and especially if you think of the Haneke's original one that was from Germany, Switzerland, Austria. Sorry. But I feel like the Scream was such an explicitly meta slasher to me. Like that one was so obviously picking apart what you think about as the slasher as a whole. Mm -hmm. Because like in other, like in slasher franchises, like Freddy or, well, Freddy, Freddy Krueger in like Nightmare on Elm Street and like Jason Voorhees and Friday the 13th. It's weird when it's like the slasher is meta in the slasher franchise, mm-hmm. and the screen screen was like a whole new look at that. You know what I oh, mean? Yeah. It was, was not a whole subtle about it. Thing. It was upfront and honest mm. with where it was going to go, and it did it beautifully. Well, and, then, and like Wes Cra- Rest Craven, obviously, New Nightmare was his like foray into meta slashers. And it was with very that close to Scream too. It must it have been right before. Yeah, it was very close to Scream. I think it. Like I, we did an episode about this on Scarred for Life about how it was like his first kind of foray into the, into that meta slasher, and then Scream was kind of his like as he had fine tuned mm-hmm. that sort of story. Definitely, but yes, I think with those long lasting franchises, eventually you have to go meta because there's nowhere else to go, and it's yeah. not it doesn't feel as purposeful as something like Scream. I agree, and then I, think, like, I feel like yeah. it's kind of boring at a point. You know what? I, like you know, they there's. Only so far you can go with, like, cool kills and and the killer coming back to life, like, Mm -hmm. over and over again. You have to reinvent it somehow, and I think going meta is, you know, is a, I don't want to say obvious route, but, like, it it presents itself. Although Jason Lives, I know everyone loves it, but it's probably my favorite, my favorite Friday film. Really? So I'm not super familiar with Friday the 13th. I don't really like Friday the 13th, like, controversial take. It's, like, Mm. not my favorite, but Mm -hmm. I really love Nightmare on Elm Street. That's one of my favorites. Well, listen, I don't know why we have to pit our female artists against each other like this all the time, you know? I know, it's true. (laughs) I'm kidding. Uh, Yeah, obviously, anyone that's not a nightmare person first, I have to ask questions because it's just better all around. I didn't find Jason until, like, the last few years. I think it was around when the video game came out. I started to really appreciate it. Oh, okay. Yeah. I really liked... uh I've seen 1, 2, and 10. Oh, no. Oh, 10's incredible. I'm sorry. I love 10. 10's incredible. 10 was incredible. I watched (laughs) it a couple months ago with my fiance because I was like, fuck it. Let's watch Jason Goes to Space. And it was absolutely the best experience. I don't don't know why people have not liked it or turned on it because I've always been obsessed with it. It's such a fun movie. It's it's like ridiculous camp. It's Mm -hmm. camp. Camp, anyway. camp, two was good too. Um, you gotta, you gotta watch the rest. You have no choice. I do have to watch the rest. I do have to watch the rest. It's something. My, I said this before on previous podcasts, but it's like my horror education is very strange because <laughs> I love, I've loved horror my whole life, but like it's kind of been dictated by my fa- like by my dad, and yeah. he was like very picky about what he showed me. And then as I got older and like took my education into my own hands. Mm. Um, I was very focused on like more contemporary horror. I didn't really give much credence to horror history and like horror movies that were made past like 2000, um, which was very unfair to me as a, as unfair of me as a teenager. I've always loved the eighties, but yeah, I, I like that for you. I think there's so much pretentiousness in the horror community about what people have to know and what people have to be into. And yeah. you can be what into whatever you want. There are no rules. Exactly. But uh, the the pandemic, as shitty as it's been, has given me an opportunity to really play catch up in a lot of areas, which has been oh a tiny God. silver lining. We've been talking for 23 minutes and the pandemic just came up now. And I think that's a record for, 
for me. Wow. And I think that's so wow. nice. Good for the us. The world is healing. The world is healing. <laughs> it is. Um, all right. So getting into Behind the Mask, I'm going to give people may not be aware and um, now they're going to be. So Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon is a 2006 American mockumentary horror black comedy slasher film directed by Scott Glosserman. It stars, okay, you're going to have to help me with some of these name pronunciations because you may have better guesses than I do. So do you want to read out this this cast list for me? Or is it present? You're really going to put, you're really gonna put me that. Do it because I cannot do it. I cannot do it. There's three okay. names I can say here. So it stars Nathan Basil. Let's hope. Uh, Angela Gothels. That sounds good. Uh, Scott Wilson, Hell Zelda yeah. Rubenstein, and Robert Englund. One time I was on a podcast with Joe Lipset, and I pronounced it Bloomhouse and not Blumhouse, and he served me my tush, and I deserved it. <laughs> yeah, he really That's did. Awesome. I loved you, Joe. <laughs> yeah, and, and to his benefit, I think I had said it at least twice incorrectly. <laughs> And he was like, hold on a second. <laughs> and, I'm like, and I still call it Bloomhouse because that's what it should be called. That's what his name should be. <laughs> yeah, he really let me have it. So thanks, Joe. And now I really learned. Now I'm now I'm cognizant, to say the least. Uh, so Behind the Mask was an homage to the slasher genre. The film followed a journalist and her crew documenting an aspired, or aspiring serial killer who models himself after famous slasher conventions. Uh, what are our general relationships with this movie? So you say you watch it for the first time. So what's the tea? What was it like for you? So I loved watching it for the first time. I was, I, I didn't know much about it because it was one of those movies that I knew I really wanted to see. So I didn't really like look up. I hadn't, I tried to avoid spoilers, like what to expect from the movie as much mm-hmm. as possible, just so I could kind of go into it fresh mm-hmm. when I finally got around to watching it. Mm-hmm. And I, I was, I did not anticipate the way that it kind of maneuvers between mockumentary and then like conventional narrative filmmaking, uh-huh. which was a fascinating combination that I really, really enjoyed. That kind yeah. of playing with what the the aesthetic of the film and what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really, I, I'm always a fan. So there's this, there's a movie called a uh, mockumentary called Long Pigs that has a similar vibe of like a documentary crew following a serial killer and the ethics behind that. Oh, and I think so this movie does that, but also really fascinating in how it deconstructs the slasher, the slasher narrative. And one of my favorite parts is when they're all like it's um Leslie and Taylor, who is played by Angela Gothels, mm-hmm. correct, are talking about like his plan for killing Kelly, his target and all of her friends. And when they're just like all going back and forth about like the slat, like what to expect from a slasher. And he's like, she's going to grab the ax because she will be empowered by cock. Oh yeah. And I was like, this is so funny because it, it, it really is going to that academic, academic, not even just like the conventions, like technically, but like the academic conventions of a slasher. Oh, yeah. That was incredible to me. And how they taught, like they really brought in like the Carol Clover kind of analysis from men, when went men, women and chainsaws. Yeah. I was like, this is incredible. Like that made me laugh even more because, you know. Meta slashers are so often like, oh yeah, like making fun of the different stereotypes and archetypes. But this was really going into the like the really? joking about the symbolism. Yeah, like, the closet is a sacred space for it is the womb. And 
and yeah, <laughs> and that's why he won't hurt people there. And then there was the, the birthing canal too of the birthing canal. Yes. Is, so is all are all three of those things from the book, or 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 is it just sort of so, riffing on it? The closet part and the birthing canal part is kind of riffing on it, but there are there's a huge discussion in the book about how the weapon that the final girl chooses is phallic, and there then she she therefore becomes masculine because she mm-hmm. always uses a phallic object to kill the killer. Um, and that is his weapon. Yeah. So that that part is kind of gleaned from Carol Clover, but like the closet and the birth canal stuff is sort of like Oh my or pro pro life Leslie. Yeah, yeah. Like, Pretty funny moment, even though it didn't have the right to be. That's kind of how I feel about this film in right. so many ways. It, Emily said it to me today, and it's true. This movie is better than it has any right being. Yes. Okay. Thank you for saying that. Cause I was, I don't, I was like, this is so much smarter than I thought it was going mm-hmm. to be. And like, it's just, it is way smarter than it has any right to any be. Any right to be. It should be pretty, like, maybe it's because since then we've seen so many different things along these lines and it does get pretty cringy pretty easily. But being yeah. so open about its relationship with the other slashers, even naming them by name, that should be cringy. That should like not be cute. But in this movie, it works so well and it makes it emotional at times. And, and I think the emotional beats in this movie are always what surprised me the most. Like the part where he's expressing how happy he is, like how content. Yes. He, like it actually that in a way is almost the scariest point in the movie. Um, do you remember that part? Do you want to like explain that moment? Yeah. So it's like right before he's about to go on his planned killing spree and he has put on face makeup to kind of hide his <sighs> skin under his mask. Yeah. Which and I love his retardant, mask. Which I thought was fun. Yeah. And then also like, I think it was something with the skin, skin vessels so that he wouldn't bleed as easily. Yeah. Like, like boxers. Head. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he is about to embark upon his murderous journey and he's just kind of sitting there contemplating and says to taylor i'm so happy and then he says it again i'm so happy like he's finally about to achieve his life's work and it's you see him as a human and a monster at the same time hell yeah which is something we don't see in slashers you know this and this this was something this movie does really incredibly well is making the monsters of slashers people but not in a way that you empathize with them but that you really realize how terrifying they are it did make it really scary yeah it did because he it's not just it's he you know he is Leslie Vernon is you know on the verge of committing all these murders but he has a, like he has a mentor and like they talk about the the history of sl- of slashers but like real life slashers so serial killers and mm-hmm. it's just like the way they talk about the history of the slasher but through like these were the guys who were innovating in the field yes, of mass yes. murder I love and that stuff moment. like that Haley talks about how you know before the seventies you would just get in there do your job and get out of dodge but then we got around to the Freddies and the Jasons and the Leatherfaces who came around and really switched the game up by coming back and turned the the carnage into an art form because it wasn't just a massacre it's a massacre that you know creates a mythology by repeating itself every so often and it i love yeah, their passion like, for it and so, saying like they became a curse and that was a really cool line about how oh, hell yeah 
and like how these guys and how the I mean they didn't go into Freddy because Freddy's a whole other weird situation where he's just like a supernatural slasher. But mm-hmm. it was so interesting to see these sla- these villains of because they're mythical. You know what I mean? Like Jason mm-hmm. Voorhees is and Michael Myers. They're mythical beings. But ha- seeing hearing these characters talk about them just like regular guys was so bizarre. But in a really awesome way of being like this, even scarier that they're people. They're not oh, yeah. some weird things that exist in a movie, but they're actual yeah. beings that are out there doing this on purpose as and they see it as art and it's possible right like this is something that could happen which is sort of what's so scary about michael myers is that it's just yeah it's a human that's capable of just shutting off and you see it with him he's with leslie vernon he's so charismatic and funny and likable and kind of hot and then you see him shut (laughs) it off and you're like "Ah, it's, it's it's very scary when you hear you see him training for it, he's like, I got, and he's like, I gotta be able to run, like walk really fast, and not look like I'm running. I have to be able to leap like a gazelle. I have to be able to like t- turn off my body to make it look like I'm not alive. So much like, cardio. This- <laughs> yeah. Yes, I was like, this is so creepy that you're showing how easy, like not like almost how easy, like it's possible. possible. To do it's this. possible. Yeah, like, it's possible. Yes, and I- that's horrifying in and of itself. It's, but it's also what it's part of what's so fun about this movie is you see right how he trains like. So he doesn't just physically train, but he has all these like sleight of hand, magic books, Houdini, stuff like that. And he also studies like Grey's Anatomy in, in all of these like medical Wild. textbooks, which I mean, listen, to be able to do something like that, you would need you would need the full education. It's true. It's very it's very true. It was very, very cool and scary. I mean, like, wow, this is something that someone is. Okay, just to be like nihilistic, like someone's probably out there doing that. Fuck, I don't like that idea. Like, I don't want to think about that. I mean, yeah, they, I mean, like for sure, they're not going to be successful, but you know, yeah, yeah, people, exactly. People are capable of some spooky stuff. And at the end of the day, they're still humans like you and me. And so maybe that kind of, maybe what's scary about that is that it shows that like maybe it's possible for us. Like maybe there, it's just possible in human nature to do stuff like this. I mean, yeah. who's to say? I don't know you that well. Mm. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> so what were your thoughts on Taylor, the final girl? Did, did we have any, like, specific feelings about her and her role in this film? Um, I will say I kind of saw that coming from a mile away. Um, it's so funny. Yeah, I, 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 I don't it, remember if I did back in the day because I've seen it so many times. It, so it, as, a new, uh-huh. as a new watch, it's, it's kind of obvious. So to me, I was like, well, there's going to be something where, like, they're going to have to interfere. Like, I just, it, after seeing so many, like, mockumentaries and meta slashers, but I was, but the <laughs> thing is, like, I knew it was coming, but I wasn't mad about you it. Mad you about know, it. I wasn't Wait, like, haha. For people that maybe haven't seen it, do you want to explain what you oh, mean? Yeah. Spoilers? Yeah. So, spoilers. So, so Taylor is the, the grad student, whatever, making this documentary with her crew and they're following Leslie while he prepares. And then at the end of the movie, he's like about to start his killing, like the, the, the killing spree. And she's like, uh, fuck, like we can't go through it. Like we can't keep watching this. Like we can't go through with this. She kind of has like an ethical dilemma finally after like an hour of her watching him prepare to be mm-hmm. a serial killer and kill someone. He's, she's seen and, someone die. All yeah. Right. So, and so, like, she finally sees him, like, the, he slaughters the first people, and she's like, fuck no. So, as they're about to pack up and go, uh, Taylor decides, oh, shit, it's time for us to help and and get, like, stop his plan because he's told them the plan. 
But as they are going to stop the plan, they realize that the whole plan all along has been for Taylor to be the final girl, for mm-hmm. her to be the one to kind of fight him and be his final showdown. So, yes. Yeah, so the, the final twist is that the, it was just meant to happen all along. That part I didn't necessarily call, but I had a, I had a feeling. I was like, I bet she's the virgin. So, <laughs> but, yeah. Was she a virgin? Is she? Did she say that she's a virgin? Yeah. She said okay, she well, then she said, should have known. Come on. Then she really should have put this together sooner. Right? Yeah. I know. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah. So, that's kind of like the gist that she discovers. Oh, I am the final girl. And so, she has to show. Oops. She has to have a final showdown with Leslie. And she um, truly and so, does. Yeah. So have you actually have you read Grady Hendrix's new book, Final The Final Girl Support Not Group? Not yet. Uh, I've read literally everything okay. else, though. Can you give me some credit for that? Yes, I can because I've you. only read one of his. That's the only book of his I've read. So, um, well, I'd like to hear Please. some thoughts, especially if they pertain to this subject. They do because I could actually. So, um, I think we'll address this a little bit later too in the in the episode. But it, this reminded me of that. Like Final Girl support group feels like a very good pairing with this movie because this movie is the perspective of this like the sla- deconstructing the slasher part and like about the killer. Mm-hmm. While the support group is about what happens to the the um the final girls after the women they yeah. go through that hell. So which in the final girl support too. group, it's like the franchise the slasher franchises, um I mean, like, they're all, it's like, oh, this is this person, like, there's something on, I can't even remember what it was, but they're all so obviously, like, it's obviously Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees, mm-hmm. Freddy Krueger, Leatherface, which is, like, a little bit, so you mentioned it being, it wouldn't be cringy in this. It's a little cringy in the book, I think. Of course. And how, obviously, they kind of homage and, mm-hmm. like, reference back to those slashers. Mm-hmm. But it's a really fascinating meta look at, like, PTSD and what happens to the final girl after she has experienced that. So I think these are two very good companions, and when the movie eventually comes out based on the book i think those would be a very interesting double feature is it a movie i think i heard something about a maybe a tv series is it a tv series oh maybe it's tv series pardon me with um andy and barbara yes i don't know how to say the last name so i always just avoid it so um but yes i that will be interesting to see but yeah yeah, definitely i thought about that a lot while i was watching this movie interesting i have to okay i don't necessarily read but i have to listen to that audiobook i'm an audiobookaholic and yeah you should it's really it's really good it's really interesting um i'm curious but he's curious to hear how you feel about how very obviously they reference slashers of the past that would be with michael myers it's like a little bit like okay we got it like we know it. well we any other it. movie i've ever seen that in where the classics are named by name i'm always like taken out and a little right grossed out by like yeah it takes you it. out of the moment it takes you out of the film a little bit and you're like okay i get what we're doing here mm-hmm. but, but here I, I i buy it for some reason they're they're building the like this is a I world know. where all these people are real and i love that did you catch the um there's a short uh nightmare on elm street visual reference at one point where as they're watching uh, they're watching a bunch of teenagers outside of a high school at one point as like a potential target yeah. group. And then there's just this little girls in white dresses playing tightrope. I saw that. Oh my God. I saw that. I was like, wait, what the fuck is that? There's it's... like in like all like little communion dresses or something yeah. weird doing jump roping. I was like, all right, well, I guess that's. Di- yeah. Directly out of Nightmare <laughs> on Elm Street. Yeah. Um, and obviously Kane Hodder make a, makes a little mm-hmm. appearance earlier on. Little um, appearance little peekaboo which is adorable uh so maybe we should jump ahead oh actually no i have a question before we do 
Um, thoughts on Leslie Vernon himself as played by Nathan Basil. I am a little bit in love with him. How did you feel? Did you find him like, is it swarmy to you or, or is it uh, likable? Uh, yeah, I thought he was gross. Mm-hmm. I mean, listen, fair. But, but like, I, I liked how they made, I never felt like they were trying to make him sympathetic, which I really liked. They weren't, there was never, I never felt like they were no. trying to be like, oh, look at this guy, like sympathize. They're more like, this guy's really charismatic. And like, like you said, like on the surface, I'm like, oh, he's kind of nice. And like, he's got that kind of hot, like mid 2000s, like vibe going on. And like the soul patch. He seems the soul patch. <laughs> and he does seem like a regular dude because what, what is interesting is when he do- he dons the personality of Leslie Vernon because he isn't actually Leslie Vernon. He's another guy, but is taking on this persona. Oh, what was his name? His real name is so funny, and so, I forget it's it. But weird, like it's such an M. Mancuso or something. Mancusa, Mancusa or something. Yes, yes, Which yes. Which I think yes, it might be a Friday but... the Thirteenth um, reference. That's the name of the producers on them. Anyways, I'm gonna. Oh my god. There's tons of references in this. Yeah, no, I don't think they're trying to make him sympathetic, but yes, he is. I really love. I know because that that, that's that would have pushed it into a different, like like a different, like a creepy that doesn't that doesn't work and that isn't fun. Exactly. So I think I think he's really good because i think he's he's charismatic enough and creepy enough to kind of like run that line of being like he really could be any person on the street that you meet oh, like he sure. could be someone that you meet like if you're a server at a restaurant or at a bar like he is that person like he doesn't look you know we always say oh that person looks like a serial killer mm-hmm. he doesn't look like a serial killer he doesn't and so no. when he puts on the persona of leslie vernon he makes himself look like a serial killer because he puts on it's literally putting on a costume like he has the mask but the mask has hair on it and he wears a vest like a bulletproof vest and he wears tattered overalls like there's a full costume mm-hmm. to take on a persona so he is playing a character oh yeah um and there's an interesting discussion I think to be had about that blurring of like when he puts on that character, is he playing a character or is it just like another side of himself? It's really I don't know. I was thinking about that a lot because it's obviously it's still serial him. killer drag, which um oh my God. maybe that's <laughs> what killer. all these serial killers are. Maybe it's a form of violent drag. I've just written a textbook. Oh, oh my god, violent drag. That would be a bar name. Oh, oh you're a ghost. Oh my god. What something I've been dying. <laughs> ah! Um what I want to say about charismatic dudes is that they are just historically the most dangerous people in history. Um, yep. Charismatic white men always going to kill you in some way or another, you know, either they roundabout have or direct. They always mm-hmm. And maybe, the, I, do you think they were cognizant of that? They're like, yeah, the charismatic, like, um, archetype is something to be wary of. Yeah, I think, huh. <laughs> hmm. Maybe. Who's to say? Maybe. Well, mm-hmm. and I think they got and they get into that a little bit too with Eugene, who is played by Scott Wilson, who is his like me- who is Leslie's mentor. My favorite part of who the film. Old- I love him. So he's like an old guy who is like he's got he's got gray hair. He lives in a he like lives in the woods with his wife, who is alluded to be a final girl, which I yeah. wish we had more about I, that. That's I know. Is it just alluded? Because I knew it because I've seen it so many times, but this time I was trying to I was trying to wait for the evidence and I never found it that they, that she was so the final. The girl. only evidence was that she said I ran a, I gave you a run for your money I oh, ran away really fast. That's so scary and 
Yeah, so that's fucking weird. And there's also in in Final Girl support group, there's a discussion of that as well, which is really fucking cool. But that's why I started thinking about the book because they have this like this woman who is married to the guy I'm who was her was her was a slot was was her serial killer. Yeah, um, it's very subtle, but they definitely like make very brief reference to it, which I think is rad. yes, yes. But- I remembered it being more overt in the past, and that's why this time I was a little surprised to sort of miss it. We're going to get to the sequel in a moment, but in the script for Before the Mask, I believe that Leslie and Taylor do like have a sort of an actual romance sort of occur. I know. And I wrote like problematic, but hot, you know, like it can be both. It can do both at once. It really can't. Oh, is it terrible that I want to see a movie about that? I I love it. Well, it's just Stockholm Syndrome. Right? But I think a little more active. Yeah, whoa. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I, I find all that stuff very interesting, like specifically Stockholm Syndrome-y stuff, because like yeah. what's happening in the brain that makes it click into that? Because I couldn't tell you, but it makes sense to me on a, you know, on a basic level. It doesn't. It wouldn't take much yeah. for me to get brainwashed in any direction which way, so I think maybe that's why. Mm-hmm. We had a Scientology center like right downtown in Toronto for so long, and I we always wanted to like go in and see what was up, but like my friends were like, no, 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 like you're not coming back out, and I think that they would be right. If I was in a TV show, if I had like you know like a supporting <laughs> role on a sitcom, I would be a Scientologist so fast. They would get me so quickly. Like if I was on that 70s I, show or something. No, I, I'm watching the Scientology, the Leah Remini Scientology and the Aftermath show on Netflix. So uh-huh. it's fascinating to me that you say that, that you oh, would be a Scientologist. Yeah. I'm obsessed with I, Scientology too. Well, maybe not too, but I am. So I'm fascinated I just, with the idea. I'm sort of fascinated with it. I'm like, what in the fuck is happening? Oh, so like, terrible. Cults are fascinating to me in general, but in how people like me too become part of cults. But that's off topic. I Although I'll be honest with you, not a big cult horror movie guy. Whenever like half really? the time, yeah, I always find it's like a little bit of an easy explanation for anything horror. You know, it's like a, okay, it's, it's like okay, like it's like every cult movie is just the ending of Hereditary, where it's like, oh, okay, well. You could have gone any direction and that's the one that we're going with. I don't know. I don't, I should probably get this in, in better words because it's a hot take, but that's how we feel. It is a hot take, but I respect it. Thank I you. Respect it. Um, I'm just not pro organized anything. I'm, I'm anti-bureaucracy. How do you feel uh, about religious horror? I'm not into it. And it's, okay. I think it's, because, okay, okay. It, I think it's partially because, you know, it, like I grew up like, like an atheist slash Jew. So the stuff doesn't have like, it doesn't yeah. my my heart doesn't have that little hole in it where religious horror can like burrow into like some other people may. <laughs> you didn't grow up Catholic like I did. Yeah. So I, I think, and, and, and maybe in some ways that's a gift because this religious horror like is, you know, has the ability to resonate with you on so many more interesting levels. And that's why people fucking love the exorcist and it's never worked for me. Because I think oh. when you grow up with that kind of religion, there's a little part of you that must always think, what if it's true? What if it's... Oh, oh yes. God, I... Jesus. My father um, <sighs> basically scared the shit out of me because I, I was, like, raised Catholic, but I am not... I was not... I am not practicing and have not been practicing since I was, like, 10. Mm-hmm. 
but I will still always have the fear of demons in my heart. <laughs> yeah. I will always have that fear. Of I'm course. Like, I don't believe in it, but I don't want to find out if it's real. Like, and, I am yeah. very much of that opinion of, like, I don't need to know. If you're a kid and you're told something is 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 explicitly true, there's no way that's not going to have a forever impact on you. Yep. Kids are so... You can't... No religion for children. Only never, adults. No religion for children. Yes, I agree. Are you ready to jump into Behind the Mask 2 before the mask? Is this something that you're willing I'm, to do with me? I'm so willing to I'm go on this journey excited. I'm scared, though. So the okay. sequel was originally pitched as something called a spree make. And I was like, oh, I hate it. It, it made me so <laughs> nauseous every time I had to read it. But then, okay, within like the last two hours, I realized that the words sequel, prequel, and remake are kind of shoved in there. So yeah, as much as it's cringy, I think it it, it is kind of smart. I just hate it. But this I is, hate it, but I get it. I yeah. See, I I hated it, but I didn't get it. So now I have to hate it less. I think that's the rules for me. Yeah, I think that is. <laughs> so this script was written back in two thousand and nine, <laughs> and there was a couple directions that the writer director was going to take. So the first direction was Halloween two style where it would have picked up mm. literally right where the first one ended. Is that something you would, wanted, you would have wanted to see? Hmm. Eh, I, I personally am not a huge fan of picking up, picking up right where things left off. I'm more here. I'm I, but I am more fascinated with like, tr- like PTSD and horror films. <laughs> so that's why I got, and it's with the final girl. So that's kind of more where I'm invested in is like how the story continues after like years later rather than right after is more my style for well, slasher. I'm glad that you brought that up because in the same in 2009, the creatives were pitching to MTV Films a television series adaptation in which Taylor, the final girl, goes on to run a school for survivor girls. And it was going to be something like um, a horror iteration of To Catch a Predator, where Taylor would... I would watch the... I know. It's incredible. Um, So she would, like, lure potential killers into frat houses or parties, and then all the lights would come up when he's caught, and she would sit down with a microphone and have, like, you know, like a real journalistic interview with them before they got put away. I know. And, like, that... Again, that reminds me of the the final... The final girl's... um, Survivor Club is not the same thing. Support Club is not the, the same Final thing. Girl Survivor Club. I like that. Yes, Support Club. What the fuck? Why did I call it the wrong? The Final Girl Support Group is what I meant to say. The, the Final Girls... Oh no, no, I forget the fake one which I liked. It's okay. That's fine. That's fine. The Final Girl Survivor Club. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you. That sounds fun. Yep. It's like Psycho Beach Beach Party. No. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. See, if that's the thing is that like these guys who I'm kind of don't give me the sense that they're like okay, they're not like renowned authors somehow are able to take these cringy ideas and make them work in a way where like these other people can't. And I don't know why. And maybe they're just true blue fans that just like live and breathe this genre. Cause they seem to just really get it. But yeah, this yeah, is a version I would yeah. love to see. <laughs> this yeah. is what I want. Um, yeah, and by by MTV, I love that. Like get the, whoever made the scream TV show on this one. I think yes. that did you watch the Scream TV show? I did not watch the Scream TV show. Okay. I didn't hate it. And that's I've actually heard decent things about it. I will watch it. I want to watch it. I will I will watch it because it seems fun. Like it's whatever. it's like pretty little liars after dark, if you know what I mean. If so, Hell if that yeah. works for you as a concept, then the show would work yeah. for you. 
It sounds kind of trashy, but like, there's nothing wrong with trashy. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I love schlocky teen stuff. I really wish they had gotten Kevin Williamson somehow to come back for it. Because to do like a schlocky teen version of like, like, how perfect would he have been? He would have been amazing. But what are you going to do? Do you have any interest in the I Know You Did Last Summer television series coming up? Uh, no, but I need to become more invested in it. I'm not very familiar with I Know What You Did Last Summer <laughs> besides the, the Hookman, Hookman boy. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fan of the Hookman. This is something that I, <laughs> I care deeply about personally. Um, and I'm very excited. They only just released the first couple of pics from it. So we shall see how it goes. It looks like there's cool. some gay, gay girl love in it, which I'm very excited <gasps> to see because, yes. um, I'm very into lesbian content lately. It's like, it's, it's, it's a trend be. for me. It's um, very good. Lesbian content is when it's <laughs> good. It's good. When it's bad, it's bad. <laughs> yeah. But both have their place. A friend of mine did worked on, Oh, I hope I say this right. Carmilla, Kerm- which was a web series about lesbian vampires. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So my friend Elise, I believe was the makeup artist on it. And I think <gasps> that's cool. Ugh, lesbian vampires are everything to me. Well, I mean, I think all vampires are lesbian vampires. And not Oh, yeah. I have a reasons. whole conversation with you about sexuality and vampires. But anyway. I, I mean, I'm, <laughs> listen, vampire sex cast, it's coming. Um, so Shudder also almost got on board to make a follow-up film. But they found crazy. the script that was pitched too self-referential, how dare they. And eventually they passed <laughs> and it never got made. That's fascinating. Because have you seen found footage 3D? No, but I've heard of it. And <laughs> Shudder, Shudder did that. Yeah, Shudder did that one. Yeah. And that's rather self-referential as well. I Like, but this is, it could have also just been like, we don't like it. No Here's shade, why but also shade. I've <laughs> yeah, heard from the director actually themselves that if they were to make this script that we're about to talk about, that they'd have to completely rewrite it because I forgot how they worded it, but that like, it's not appropriate for 2021. Like, it's not, like, I'm assuming oh. it's problematic. Um, well, I appreciate I, that awareness. I yeah. appreciate that awareness. Although it wasn't phrased like that. It was phrased in the way that, like, I don't think you would have appreciated as much. It was Oh, like, like they're going to get canceled or something yeah, like that? Yeah, it was that. like, like oh, Yeah, exactly. Well, I oh, can't wait mind. to get canceled because that means I'm, like, important enough to get canceled, you know? Well, you have a, you have a job now where you could probably get canceled. I think about it. About I, it. I, <laughs> I think about it all the time. I think about it a lot. About it. I'm scared. And it's, I'm like, I don't want to go on Twitter anymore. I'm scared I, to get canceled. I know. I know. And like, and it's so easy when you're writing all day, every day, because it's just like, your brain kind of turns off after a while. So, and my brain's got lots of moldy, terrible thoughts in it that shouldn't be shared. I, I think some of them have come out today, but Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're gonna have I have, I, have the, I have a wheezy laugh I, I, I laugh like a seagull and like someone who smokes 10 packs of cigarettes a day listen it's I'm an asthmatic queen I relate so great Good. Uh, sometimes I'm editing my podcast and I'm like Josh like take up inhaler you're wheezing that's so embarrassing <laughs> take a drink it's, of water like yeah, are you okay are you, are you suffering what's wrong with you <laughs> so if anyone's ever listened to me wheezing through an episode i'm sorry that's gotta be that's gotta be grading so thank you for sticking with me all these years six months i'm <laughs> i'm gonna get a little bit into what this original script for behind the mask was uh all about so are you ready are you cool. gonna come on this journey I'm- with me 
I'm ready. So the original script for Before the Mask opens with a flash forward sequence showing Leslie, Taylor, Doug, Doc Halloran, all from the original film, as they're being interviewed to promote the release of something called The Harvest Murders. It's a movie which recreated the murders that Leslie committed during the events of the first film's finale. Um, So immediately the opener is revealed to be a meta sequence for a new film being made. Very stab from the scene the scream series energy um so the movie that within the script that they're filming is called the harvest murders and it is about the murders from the original first film so like very stab on scream uh but the production is in turmoil after multiple crew deaths occur um no one's exactly sure what's happening but there's a shadowy figure that's been seen stalking the set the investors threaten to pull the funding and the film is shut down until Leslie is at her home. Ooh, <gasps> you hear my baby? Do you hear Henry? I hear Henry's I hear getting in on it. Um, I'm going to say that last Henry's part got some feelings. Oh, I know. I know. I love you. I'm sorry. Okay. Until Leslie has been apprehended. Uh, very step three. Did that make sense to you? Did, as, as a listener, did that sound like, like did you follow my journey? I did. I followed your journey. I'm, I'm right next to you. I'm still Thank there. Thank you. Oh, my God. That's scary. Don't say that. Um, <laughs> that's what Henry's barking at. He's mean. like, bitch, turn around. as a ghost. When She's you, there. Well, you made that ghost sound earlier, and I knew something was wrong. Yeah, sorry. Oops. Um, a romance occurs between Taylor and Leslie in the script, which I said is hot but problematic. And basically for the film, it's very Scream 3 fun when the characters from the original film meet the actors that play them in this film. And I believe that's sort of who rounded out the ensemble. So, yeah. Is this something that you would have wanted to see? Does this sound, does this grip you? Does this make you go, ooh? Well, my hesitation probably. I don't, uh, maybe... I mostly like the idea of the romance between Taylor and Leslie, which again, oops, but I'm fascinated by it. I would watch it. I like the name The Harvest Murders. That's a good Oh my God, me movie. too. And, and horror movie, like fake horror movie names and horror movies are always so bad. And this oh, one's they're so, so bad. It's good. Incredible. Yeah, The Harvest Murders. I would watch. I mean, I it does kind of sound like something that would have come out in like 2002 direct to video. Oh, yeah. 100%. There was one. I think it was called The Alphabet Murders or something. Yep. Does that sound familiar? You know what I'm talking about? And the covers, there's like leaves or some shit. So that to me is what the yep. covers. Wow. I'm, yeah. just, I'm really glad someone knows what I'm talking about because I gave you very, very little information on that one. It's one of those movies. It's like one of those video covers that you remember seeing and like it sticks in your head and then oh, yeah. it just for some reason is in your head forever and you will never see the movie, forever, but it'll always just be sitting there. Forever. Yep. And we'll yep. never watch it. And we never would have watched it. I mean, look at that. No. And it's not murder by numbers, okay, if you're thinking that it was people at home. <laughs> I'm that is watchable. Just kidding. All right. So I'm going to move into the world of crowdfunding, everybody's favorite topic. So before TM, aka before the mask, the return of Leslie Vernon, launched, launched a Kickstarter in 2012. Uh, the campaign set a, a, I'm sorry, but like an insane goal of $600,000, which I believe is more Jeez. than, yeah, I don't think any film had ever received. Oh, I'm sorry. I may have to go say hello to him at some point. Um, but you'd understand because you understand the the, the mind of. Oh, animal. I have 
I have cats who scream during a podcast recording sometimes. I've got it's, one behind me who I'm waiting to start meowing. So I understand a thousand percent. My biggest fear in life that's coming to fruition right now. But that's okay. Because mm. um, <laughs> where was growls in the background. I? Know. He like, sounds like, I know that's that's literally how he talks. It's very funny. He's a little Chewbacca man. He's also the cutest dog of all time. And I know people think that about their dogs. But, like, once I show you evidence, you're going to be like, oh, my God. As I need photographic evidence. I know you absolutely do. Absolutely, yes. Because also he's a poodle. And, when you, like, if – oh, my God. He's so pissed. But I think it's going to be okay. Aww. Can you hear me? No, you can't. Yes, I can. I'm going to start this again. So the film started a Kickstarter in 2012. The campaign set a goal of $600,000, which is more than any film had ever achieved on Kickstarter at that point, or I think maybe even since for a horror film, but I could be wrong. Uh, the campaign only got like less than half of that. So it got about $230,000. Is that right? Am I saying these numbers right? Yes. From about 861 funders. And because it was Kickstarter, they didn't get any of their funding, which is so sad. Uh, Mary Beth, have you ever been involved with a crowdfunding campaign before? I have not. I no, have I'm shocked. I don't know why I'm so shocked. I am not. So, okay. I am not a big, I have not ever been really involved in a filmmaking process. I write about the filmmaking process. Uh-huh. I know lots of people who have been involved in the filmmaking process. But I didn't I say for a film. This could have been for a I know. book or for, you know, to freeze someone from somewhere. I don't know what you're up to. <laughs> I don't know why I went for that. a really great range of, <laughs> of, of, of options yeah, that yeah. I could have been involved with. Those are the um, t- only no, two. Only two. I have never been involved in a crowdfunding. I mean, listen, I'm going to say good for you. And I celebrate that because they are hell on earth. (laughs) I was going to say, I do not envy anyone who ever has, because I know that that is so difficult. And I know, and you know, from experience that it is a pain in the ass to like constantly be saying it like, Hey, fund me. Hey, fund me. I know that it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. (laughs) It's like, Okay, so if you can't make your movie, don't make your movie. Why do I care? You know what I mean? I don't think that way about other people's crowdfunding campaigns, but I I felt that way about my own. And yeah. um, since you don't have a story, is it okay with you if I share mine? Please do. Specific. I would love to. So I'd me, to uh, oh, wow. And now he has his bone. And what he's going to do is he's going to like toss it in the air and it's going to hit yeah, the Yeah, he is. It's his yeah, favorite. It oh, no, he's not. He's just going to his blankie. Okay. Uh, yeah, so me and um, our coworker, Miss Emily Gagnier, made a film in 2019, and we got all the funding we needed except for. Um, I just want to say that the movie is really, really good too. You seen it? I'm sh- I did I not have know. Seen. <gasps> I've seen and I love. Oh my god! Okay, well, um, I've actually not really officially talked about it on this podcast yet, which is shocking. Um, I'm. So- how did you? Did Emily send it to you? How did you get? Your- how did you? How did you do it? Was it a, was film it a festival? festival? It was a yeah. festival. Oh and I gosh. watched it because I knew Emily had – I knew Emily was involved because I <gasps> had so I'd written with Emily. I met uh-huh. Emily I met Emily in person before at TIFF when we were both still writing for a film site together, um, <laughs> a site that must not be named. Yeah. Um, you, you, you can cut that out. Um, <laughs> but um, I knew that she had worked on it, and I can't for the life of me remember what – I think it might have been Salem Horror Fest. Yeah, year. that was where we premiered. Sorry. 
Okay, yes, I did. I watched it at Salem Horror Fest, and I loved the vibe and the aesthetic. Oh. And I'm not just saying this because I know you guys. It, I really did enjoy it. It's very well, well made. This is this is the scoop. This is live. This is news to me, and that's exciting. I'm gonna have to cut this because exclusive. Um, so for that film, <laughs> me and Emily uh, had all the funding we needed except for part of our post production budget. So our producers oh. thought, well, you guys work in social media, like just do this. It'll be a guarantee home run. We'll definitely get it. And we did, we, we, I forget what goal we set, but we did on an Indiegogo. So we got everything. We didn't reach the goal, but we got really close and it worked out for us in the end. But it's like, what, to get like, I know $6,000 is a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. Okay. But the amount of effort and work that two people need to put into a a crowdfunding campaign to to scrounge up that amount of money, uh, minimum wage jobs. And it would have happened faster. So yeah, I, I was going to say, I feel like them. with Indiegogo, like crowdfunding campaigns, it's not just like, it's not just putting up a link and be like, Fund, like, give me money. It's like, you have to explain to people what they're getting, why you need the money. Uh-huh. Like the, I've seen Indiegogo campaigns that have like these beautiful custom graphics for yep, each which tier. Which we did, which we did. Yes. And like, but also having to like deliver on promises to people. That's like, which that's we like, did. That's really hard work. <laughs> Oh yeah, we none none of our perks were delivered. I'm saying it now. I'm saying it proud. You didn't get your perks, and you know what? You're never gonna get them. Sorry, I'm sorry. You're not. And if you if you care, then I sue me. I want you to sue me. No, I'm kidding. I'm sorry. We're sorry. Anyone that anyone that supported it, I have a feeling, um, did it out of the love of their heart. I will also say I this. I was gonna say, uh, yeah, I feel like a lot of I, they'd have to. Like- um, Emily got like. I'm going to say 90% of the support came from her networks and it was devastating for me. It was truly embarrassing. <laughs> so and everyone that's in that supports me on a day-to-day basis, you failed me. Oh my God, Henry. He's sabotaging me. That's <laughs> how he feels about your not supporting. Henry, where was your support for the Indiegogo campaign? Literally in the trash, in the garbage. The um, garbage. Oh my god. Okay, I have to put you on pause. I have to take his bone away. This is the first time I've had this issue. Okay, I'll be right back. Oh, sorry, I'm talking to my cat. Oh, I actually didn't know that was you. I thought I thought someone was like, I thought there was a child was... in the room, and I thought they were like, no, it was they my stupid help. gross cat baby voice. No, it's the... just me. Okay, so there's my two cat cats. Cute. She was. Yeah, there's two cats. There. Anyway, I wanna, is... like, we need to know about them. Our audience demands information. <clears throat> Okay, so the one that's currently next to me is my one-year-old Siamese kitten, Tiramisu. Oh. And then I have a 12-year-old tabby cat named Zucchini, and he looks like a rotisserie chicken. I and think he's, he's going to outlive us all. Zucchini? Yes, I require it. It's, a, it's, it's not an option. Zucchini! <laughs> I love him. I relate to him, I feel like. I feel like because the rotisserie I think he, chicken comment. Yeah. Rotisserie chicken, resting bitch face, but loves attention. So it's incredible. God, uh, that's the opposite of my poodle, who's like, literally looks like he could be featured in like Elle magazine photo shoot, but is <gasps> so sassy and rude. I love him. Um, incredible. Yeah. Uh, where was I? Right. Okay. So yeah, so we did a crowdfunding campaign. It was hell on earth. I don't recommend it to anyone unless you desperately have to do it. Uh, so so yeah, crowdfunding genre films. I have a list here. Uh, the Void. Have you seen that one? I have seen The Void. Um. Yeah. I feel like. I feel like. Okay. 
I was just going to say, I feel like the world is ready for like mm, a mainstream kind of easily accessible HP Lovecraft movie. But then I thought maybe that's not the moment. Maybe that's not where we're at. And now I don't have an answer. Yeah, How do you feel about HP Lovecraft content? Obviously it's, he's a monster. Eleanor. I've written a lot about HP Lovecraft content because I love cosmic horror. My fiance got me really into cosmic horror because he is, I mean, did you hear that? That's my so. cat trying to get out. There's nowhere to go. Just accept your fate, Zucchine. That's Chiramisu. Um, But so my fiance introduced me to, I knew H.P. Lovecraft, but he read a lot of the short stories. So I read a lot of them and then kind of showed me more cosmic writers who were cosmic horror. And I really love... I love the stories of H.P. Lovecraft, except for the um, horrific racism that is uh, and um, anti-Semitism that is rampant throughout, throughout him. Yeah. Um, so we were really excited for The Void. Um, mm-hmm. And it didn't no. scratch the itch for me. That's a very... That's a nice way of putting it, for sure. And I think I, I agree with <laughs> that. I forget who made it, but I feel like they live in Toronto. So I'm going to let that one go. Um, we also have 31 by Rob Zombie. Have we seen this? Because I have not. No, this is not I, something I, I've seen. I just have to tell you that I don't really like Rob Zombies. Listen, that's going to be hard for you working at Dread Central because I'm going to say that's at least 30% of the content I've written in the last month has been Rob Zombie. Oh, the guy, who did the, the guy who did The Void did um did Psycho, Psycho Goreman. And I love Psycho Goreman. You know, I... Um, I, I I, I should give That's it another okay. go. How about how about that? I, I should give it another go. I really liked Elements. Like the how it juggled like super gross and disturbing with uh funny. That's cute. Yeah. I I, I hate kids. I truly hate children. Uh, All, like real okay. ones and fake ones. Okay. I got you. And so it was hard. That one was hard. Um yeah, I'm anti you. I'm anti child for anyone at home. And I've never heard of zombie. So hunters. let me Yeah. Let me let me um, amend so I don't get canceled. I don't dislike Rob Zombie. I just don't <laughs> like him as much as a lot of people do. I he's I terrible. don't. No, he's not terrible. He's made two good movies, and that's better than most people, in my opinion. I mean, maybe yeah. you, you don't even would think that. For me, I I believe there were two good films, and um, that's something, right? Yeah, good for him. Hey, he did that, and he did it had a music career, and he's way more successful than I probably will ever be, and good for him. I mean, not in horror um, academia. Actually, maybe hard to say. Um, have you? That's so you've true. never? Have you? You don't like House of a Thousand Corpses? <laughs> what's What's your take no, on I like, House of a Thousand? So the thing is, like, I haven't seen it in a long time. I liked it. I liked House of a Thousand Corpses. I I get like. See, the thing is, like, I don't dislike. I I don't. I just don't like all of his work. I don't like the vibe of all of his stuff, but I like a house of a thousand corpses. I kind of enjoyed Lords of Salem. I turned it off. Um, I like old lady horror though, but I do like old lady horror. I, I like, I like witch horror, but that one, but yeah, mm-hmm. those are the, and I still haven't seen the devil's rejects. People love it. I don't remember what my experience with it was. So it's just easier to love it too. <laughs> so that's my cool. opinion on the devil's rejects. Yeah. And I also need to see his, his version of Halloween. Uh, yeah. Just because there's, it's so controversial and polarizing. It's an important, it's an important yeah, conversation. That's the to thing. I'm very curious. Like, I would like to see it just to be able to participate in those conversations and just kind of be aware. Um, are you familiar with Peaches Christ? 
I am familiar with Peaches Christ. Um, I just had them on my podcast. How amazing is that, by the way? I'm like still Incredible. Dying. I was going to say, wow. I know, I know. And uh, they gave me a really interesting insight on their take on Rob Zombie's Halloween movies, which was that- Oh, really? Like, yeah. And it was nothing. something I hadn't really thought of before, which is like um, horror movies that portray poor people as dangerous, which is like literally what that movie is all about. Oh. And you look at it in a totally different way. Which I guess is hillbilly horror, generally speaking. Um, yeah. But in that one, too, you know? So yeah. thanks, Peaches Christ, for the for That's the insight. Cool. All right. So I'm going to move on to uh, the graphic novel, if you're comfortable with that. I would love to. So yeah. we never got the sequel to Before, no, to Behind the Mask. Very sad. Truly upsetting. But Hope was still in the air because they started a new crowdfunding campaign in 2017. So the filmmakers wanted to turn the screenplay that they had sitting on the shelf into a potential graphic novel series. So they went on Indiegogo and they uh, set a goal of 18 grand and they were actually very successful and raised close to $25,000 to create a six, uh, I don't know, call it like a six entry comic book series called Before the Mask, The Return of Leslie Vernon. It was backed by by 322 people, a faithful adaptation of the original screenplay. And you can still buy them all right now if you hit uh, vernonsfarmhouse.com slash shop. Yeah. No shit. I love, I'm a big graphic novel person. Like I, I'm currently oh. reading the con, like the con, the Conjuring graphic novels. Hell yeah! No, the I, woman I, from from the from the Devil Made Me Do. <laughs> I'm so no, don't laugh. I was literally I've I've not seen the Devil Made Me Do it. I would read that before even watching it because I'm intrigued. Um, yeah, I'm very excited because okay, she's the best I, part of that movie. I have to tell you an embarrassing story. I don't know if this is. I may not put this on on the podcast, but I think it's worth noting. Okay. So. When we were up for, okay, I can't include this, but I have to say it. So when uh, I got an email from the head of our organization asking me for recommendation for horror writers for uh, for DC, I don't know why I didn't read that as Dread Central. I read it as for like DC Comics because I, I read that day that they were doing DC Comic Horror imprints <laughs> and I sent the most embarrassing email. Of my life, where I sent them, I sent the head of our organization an email with like five exciting like horror literature authors, <laughs> and um, I didn't hear back, and that was a big mistake that I made. But you know what? Oh, and then, I, yeah, I thought it was DC. To be fair, I had never once in my life heard anyone refer to Dread Central as DC. So is that on me a hundred percent? DC is DC. DC is not Dread Central. If you're out there, I need your opinion on this because I'm still embarrassed. And then when I figured out what he meant, because it took me about 30 seconds after sending the email to realize how stupid I am, I sent an immediate follow-up email with Emily's column. And I was like, oh, and this is my friend Emily's column. It's really good. (laughs) Just to confuse them further into like (laughs) not knowing if I understood the assignment or not. (laughs) <laughs> I know, isn't that a nightmare? Isn't that hell on I love it though. Everyone makes mistakes and we need to know it. Y'all. I mean, and the fact that he didn't answer, I'm sorry, is even funnier to me that he just like didn't <laughs> oh, yeah, know that you were wrong. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> nothing like, at all. He said nothing and you're like, 
fuck. <laughs> oh, and I also included I, I, I also included me and Emily on the list, and I included the the link to our film because I was like, we're creative writers. It was horrible, but it's okay. It's all in the past. It's all in the past. It's all fine now. Mary Beth, do you think the sequel or a sequel or some kind of continuation to Behind the Mask will ever get made? And I also want to say that whatever we decide is going to be like factual. So you, we really have to be careful with the answers we give because we're Hollywood and what we say goes. So if you say yes, it's happening. If you say no, it's not happening. Okay. Well, I'm going to say it's happening. Um, I'm going <gasps> to go out and say that. So I've do given do it you the believe green that? Light. Or is it just something you I want? do. I do actually, because I think that we're seeing now, especially in the last even year, a <laughs> huge resurgence of like project, finally sequels being made, of reboots being done, of things being made that had previously like, and you know this, like you have an entire podcast about development. Hell yeah. But <laughs> I feel like there are so many more instances of these things finally happening that I would not be surprised if this was one of the next ones to and get some expensive. kind of treatment like that. You know, especially for something like Shudder, how hard could it be? Like found footage and mockumentaries are not expensive. Like they're no. they're they're everyone like they're cheap for they're cheap ways to make movies, and that's not a bad thing. No, it's so a I just I can't imagine that this wouldn't have some form of something in the future is my is my take agree although i mean it's been a long i don't know about the timeline because i mean it hasn't been that long but for some reason 2006 feels way longer ago than 1978 do you know what i mean like 2006 is thirty thousand years ago so it may not it may be too late that's kind of how i feel okay so fuck you no i don't know um I kind of asked you this. I kind of asked you this. I kind of didn't. But would you want to see it? Would you want to see some follow-up content? Um, I'm going to say yes with the caveat that if it's good, <laughs> which is like obviously always the caveat. I know. But I ju- it's like I no one else can always, make it. I just worry that if – Sometimes I think things are made for the sake of being made. Mm-hmm. And at this point, I feel like it would be made out of love. It isn't like this hasn't been thought about. So Yeah. As long as they like, don't get the happy death day guy or something to come do it. Because that's a mistake. Yeah. Like, I, I I, would like to see it as long as it's not, like, so 2021. I don't know why I said 2021. Jesus. Uh, t- 2021. I feel like there is sometimes a tendency to want to go, like, full into, like, it's millennials 2021. And I would just really hate if it became, like, that that much of a cultural object that it doesn't, it couldn't exist outside of, like, it's very specific cultural moment. Yeah. I don't want a woke behind the mask. I want a homophobic behind the mask. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> they actually did. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. They did release a couple of pages of the script that I didn't end up sending to you. At one point, I was like, maybe we'll read them. And I thought, no, I don't know her like that. But um, yeah, it, it, I can see what they meant about needing to rewrite it. Because even in the two pages that in 2012 they released to their crowdfunding campaign, it's like weird homophobic humor that like all just like kind of reads weird. So. Oh, yeah. Mm, I, I know what a note that, to that, leave us on, right? 
Yeah, wow. Sorry, also, that everybody. wouldn't have gone well in 2012 either. So I don't know why no, they but thought 2006 that would have loved it. They would have. 2006 would have loved that shit. We all know 2006, but I've eaten it. Oh yeah, they would yeah, love yeah. that. Drop a drop a couple slurs in there, they would be very excited. Oh my god! Every time the f bomb happens these days, like if I'm watching anything from the 80s, it's like my whole house starts to rattle. I'm so shocked. I know. Like, <laughs> I feel oh like my god, my whole clenches, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, hold on. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it makes me really not that that I'm like upset by it. It's just like literally like it's, it's an weird. It's just weird to hear it, man. It's so it's strange. Just so it's strange. So casual, 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 casual. Yeah. Um. Well, what are you gonna do? I I almost just dropped it and I didn't, and I'm glad that I didn't. So, <laughs> Mary Beth, where can you be found on online? Maybe not so much in real life, so you don't. Yeah, don't don't find me in real life at my apartment. But so you can mm-hmm. follow me on Twitter. I'm at mb McAndrews. Mm-hmm. You will be able to find all my writing there, all of the things I'm working on. I have a thousand projects going on at any given time, so you can get all of the info there. You can also follow Scarred for Life at Scarred Podcast and Watched Once Never Again at um at wona podcast that's at w-o-n-a podcast that really worked out for um, you guys that short forum i love it right exactly um yeah. i always think of winona rider i mean I immediately it. immediately that's immediately um and so yeah follow me on twitter you'll get to see all the really cool stuff we're working on with for dread central now oh my god emily so josh and i and max Weinstein are all working on i'm super excited so come follow me and be nice to me please thank you yeah yeah I'm please be tender. nice please be nice um okay well i love it thank you so much for coming on the pod to talk about this movie this was so much fun please don't go away <laughs> i'm gonna hit <laughs> He's truly out for blood. He's out for blood. Out for me to get me. He sounds like he is out for blood right oh, now. He he's thirsty for human blood flesh. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. And we'll be back with another episode of Development Hell. Coming soon to Dread. Bad Candy. On Halloween night in New Salem, radio DJs Chili Billy, played by Corey Taylor, and Paul, played by Zach Galligan, tell a twisted anthology of terrifying local myths that lead to a grim end for small town residents. If you love Slipknot, Gremlins, and horror, this is the film for you. Bad Candy is coming out in theaters and on demand September 14th and on Blu-ray October 10th.